Really quick, I just want to clarify. In this episode, I said police at one point when I was referring to the medical team criticizing the police. So I apologize for misspeaking. I hope that didn't add to too much confusion. I also want to clarify that at one point in the episode you're about to hear, I talk about the call logs, but I'm also just referring to the investigator's timeline. So it's not all piecing together the logged activity, but also what the detectives put together. Just clarifying. Enjoy the episode. In late June of this year, a grand jury decided to not press charges against anyone involved in 2021's Astroworld Crowd Crush, the deadliest U.S. concert incident since 2003. Eight attendees at the Travis Scott-hosted festival died of asphyxiation that night, and three more victims died later. Now that a criminal investigation into what caused the crowd crush has concluded, a massive trove of documents has been made public, literally over 1,000, And yes, I read through all of them. The call logs, emails, text messages, body camera footage notes, interviews, transcripts of all kinds. I combed through literally over a thousand documents and realized how complicated the concept of culpability here really became. Three things really struck me as I assessed all this newly public material. One is just how truly devastating and panic-inducing every aspect of the night unfolded. What a horror show. So do be aware this episode may get kind of intense to listen to at times. So not exactly a a good one to play as you have little kids in the room or something like that. Two is how split screen the night unfolded. Because while this horror show was happening, those who were not in the area where most of it was happening, who weren't in that compact zone, it looked like it was a normal show. So they were just partying, having a good night, and then found out later, ooh, that was terrible. Three, I noticed the basic question of whose fault is it? So complicated. Because as the investigation unfolded, it seems like every time they got one answer, they got ten more questions. They kept going each and every way, getting from interviewees new names referenced to go talk to, new hints at culpability that would be civil or criminal or both, pursuing different leads, different angles. Was Live Nation responsible for shutting down the show and didn't in time? How much was the actual physical structure of the stage and the barriers at fault, not up to safety codes? How much was Travis's fault? How much could people communicate with his mic? his in-ears, and how much was he truly aware this was an emergency, the list goes on and on. Overall, although it seems like this crowd crush was exacerbated in the moment, it couldn't be helped that it got worse in some ways because panic breeds more panic, but it was not inevitable. This really, looking through all this, the picture is so complicated, but also at the end of the day, the brief way to put it is the investigation found red flags left and right, everything from the planning process for the festival to the medical response not coordinating with security and others. So today I'm walking you through my biggest takeaways from the full document. And I will link to the full thing if you want to read it yourself, but I read it so you don't have to. It's a pretty intense read, not just lengthwise, but content-wise. It's really dark, of course. But anyway, I'll link to that on my site. But today I want to walk you through my big takeaways and start backing up with some relevant context and the build-up to the festival night. The months of planning in advance and potential warning signs early on that this night could get ugly. Part 1. Before the Festival In the past, Travis Scott has said that he likes when his crowds get really riled up and has even told GQ magazine that he wants them to be like in a wrestling match mode, ready for rowdiness. Plus he has lyrics like from Stargazing, and it ain't a mosh pit if it ain't no injuries, I got him stage diving out the nosebleeds. His shows have become notorious for rowdiness to say the least. People swarming the area, stampeding, throwing stuff, yelling stuff, breaking barricades and other barriers. Just total rule breaking left and right and injuries. And just this environment of being hyped up to a concerning degree. He was at a show in Sweden in 2015, and while he crowd surfed, someone took his shoe. And he yelled at the crowd to F him up and get that MFer for doing so, and spit on him. So he has incited people before, and was actually charged for it back in 2015 at Lollapalooza, when he told attendees to come climb over barricades. He performed one song, gave that order, fans did try to come over barricades, 
There was a very quick response, luckily no major injuries, and then he fled the scene, then was taken into custody, and pled guilty to one charge, misdemeanor reckless conduct. He was sentenced to a year of court supervision. But lessons were not learned, and there was more encouragement of hyped-up dangerous behavior in 2017. There were two very noteworthy shows of his in 2017 for all the wrong reasons, in Arkansas and New York. At the New York show, attendee Kyle Green, who was 23, was kind of pushed slash fell off of a third-story balcony. He had a fractured ankle, broken wrist, fractured vertebrae, and was partially paralyzed. He also says it was made worse because he was taken out without a backboard, a collar for his neck, anything medical device-wise that would protect certain body parts while moving you in an emergency. Kyle Green did sue Travis, among others, and that case has been delayed again and again in part due to a COVID-related case backlog. Separately, he was charged after he seemed to really overtly encourage a young fan to jump off the balcony saying things like, quote, they're going to catch you, don't be scared, unquote. He was charged with inciting a riot, disorderly conduct, and endangering the welfare of a minor. He had to pay $640, chump change to him, in court-related costs, and pay two plaintiffs over $6,800. He also was put in jail, but really shortly afterwards, he also had to pay over 3600 to a security guard. His attorney at the time claimed, quote, they overcharged him. They tried to get him for inciting a riot. The video did not show any of that, unquote. And indeed, that charge was dismissed. So he was charged with three things, pled guilty to the disorderly conduct, and the other two were dismissed in 2018. The first Astroworld was held in 2018, and in 2019, footage of fans breaking barricades, jumping fences, storming the entrances, that stuff was used as footage to promote 2019's fest. Even footage that appears to show someone carrying a body out on security's shoulders, which also seemed to be a sentiment at Rolling Loud in 2021, and how his set unfolded there, how wild the crowd got. At 2019's fest, there were at least three hospital transports before the show started, and total that night, over 50. So the team that was preparing 2021's fest knew they had a lot to deal with in terms of safety and security prep. They knew it could get really out of control fast. And a lot of the planning was very scattered, and not every group was on the same page. In summer 2021, the project got started to prepare for Astroworld that fall. Regular calls with site and festival leads, they also had a map circulating to analyze about how the grounds would look, address safety concerns, etc. by mid-August. By the end of August, they'd actually switched already to Plan B instead of Plan A for the layout. Then in September, another concern was raised about a lack of walking paths to break up the foot traffic, spread people out more. Concerns with a potential pinch point, as they call it, were raised. There was a drastic change, their word choice, in October to the layout, and the event was the following month. Several main areas of concern raised during the planning process. First of all, those who had worked on the previous fests reported getting just much more advanced time to prepare, and this time felt rushed. They also did not have rehearsals as they normally would, The fire marshal recalls the previous two events taking about two weeks to build the set. This one was one week of setup, in part because of just bad weather and things outside of their control. Major barricade adjustments were made last minute. Travis's team also made a lot of last minute decision changes, frustrating others. There were also relatively last minute changes to the ticket scan lines. The parties clashed often, cited a lot of creative frustrations, creative differences, and a lot of compromise to create the final layout. Up until the last minute, there were changes, modifications. There seemed to be two of the biggest red flags in some of what Travis's team wanted and then what the map showed. First of all, with Travis's team, there were a lot of ideas they had that either were unworkable or not super safe. They wanted to have a setup with this festival would have multiple stages, but not at the same time. So after stage two's act was done, everyone moved as one over to stage one for the main headliner, Travis. He wanted the whole crowd at his show, not have alternate entertainment at the same time. 
Investigators later on tried to figure out for sure if the carnival ride part of the event was still open during his set. Would not get a response from anybody. I assume it was closed. The rides were shut at the time and everyone was in that one area. And honestly, part of the reason festivals have so many simultaneous stages is not just for variety's sake, it's for safety's sake, to spread out the crowd. So that raised concerns, as well as a lack of walking paths, basically anything that would structurally make the setup look less crowded, Travis's team sounded like they shot down. They wanted it to look kind of compact and really full. There were also concerns raised about all the stages facing the same direction. There was a new amount of rides they wanted this year. They really wanted to distinguish this as looking more carnival-like than music festival-like. More high energy, not just a chill wandering from stage to stage. They even considered at one point they would film the set through Travis's point of view. They would have cameras somehow do that, make it look like through his eyes, but that was scrapped. They also seem to not want multiple lines at the front, which again is something a lot of events do for safety in addition to convenience. But they wanted kind of a smaller amount of lines and everyone together as a group. So there was a lack of rehearsal time. It felt rushed to some. They disputed certain placement of barricades and stuff, a lack of walking paths, wiggle room, pinch points, buildup that would happen at the front entrance. Lots of concerns raised, many unaddressed. Live Nation had a staff of maybe 25 to 30 people to handle the crowd at the gates at the start. Almost 2,000 people showed up that early. So at the most, 30 people there to handle the 2,000 who showed up at once. One main site operator got a context-free text from a colleague that showed a camera position. She didn't know what it meant, but according to the investigation, quote, it was soon discovered that someone from production or the live stream built the crane camera and the front of house camera despite her and Brent disapproving them, unquote. So they had been set up where they had told them not to. As for the map confusion... The map had to go through fire marshals, the festival director, etc. It had to be signed off on by multiple parties, and there were two versions circulating. Map 1.37, which did get fire marshal approval, and Map 1.38, which did not, but the construction workers used 1.38, that somehow got passed around and signed off on by everyone but the fire marshal. The investigators did the math, actually, and they showed their work in the documents and showed that it, quote, was not in accordance with the approved plans throughout, unquote. So the site was already concerning people. There were also ratchet straps that had to be used to hold down a barrier very early on when a photographer recalls saying, quote, if that thing breaks, then we are done, unquote. So there were concerns early on. The morning events were recalled in interviews as relatively minor for people who have become veterans of the festival scene, have worked literally hundreds of events just like this. It was pretty standard. So they say in their interviews it was minor injuries, but to me it still sounds major. There were hand and foot injuries, fractures, because people were scaling the fences, cramming the merch booth, etc. But people describe attendees as just being pretty happy and having fun, The chaos did not ensue fully until night, but there were a ton of people trying to sneak in, jump fences. They basically devastated the VIP area with a crowd rush. There was scanner damage, security officers injured. There's some dispute about who got to quiet down the chaos at the merch area, especially because there was this exclusive merch drop that got people super psyched. People tried illegally cutting without wristbands and stuff. This merch was a big pull for them. One of Travis's people has taken credit for calming the chaos, getting them to listen to him. But Emily Okenden, which we will talk about much more later, she disputes that and is confused because she never saw him in that merch area, so she doesn't think he was the one to help. People were throwing water bottles and big water jugs while they were at the merch tent, but they kind of were throwing them to each other or just for the sake of throwing them. Like, it's not like they were pelting the merch cashier or security. They were just throwing stuff to throw stuff. They also dismantled bike racks and anything else that may have been set up intentionally to slow or deter them from gate rushing. Literally hundreds at a time would gate rush. There were some juvenile arrests that day. The power went out in the processing area for a while. There had been some disputes between the AC company and the power company. It's a whole side story. But yeah, lots of drama among staff here. But the attendees themselves seemed like they were having a blast. 
There was a period where the merch area had to be just totally paused and shut down before order somewhat would get restored. But ultimately, they just kind of let this happen because they expected it at his show. He had encouraged it, promoted with it. There were going to be fence jumpers, people getting in illegally. And they were just kind of going to sit back and let it happen because it felt so insurmountable. It's like trying to take a cup of water out of the ocean. There were also lax security measures, which some fans that were interviewed also actually did raise concerns about. A lack of bag checks, credential checks on behalf of photographers and media, a lack of lines to go through, magnetometers and stuff. A lot of people rushed the gate so they got past security, the COVID check area, etc. Pretty easily you could avoid detection. And the reported capacity was about 45,000 attendees, yet the scanner showed 38,000 with proper wristbands. Things really got next level at 8.30 when, just as expected, everyone went from stage 2 to stage 1. There's a countdown clock until he takes the stage in 30 minutes. And before the show even starts, people are pressing inward and they are getting crushed. It is packed in like sardines. They are all at stage one, struggling to breathe. The show hasn't even started yet. People are still throwing things. Some report actually people just urinating wherever. People are just ready. The pre-show buildup was this frenetic energy. The thing about the crowd getting so compact is that it's kind of a domino effect when one person faints. People fell over, and then it was like dominoes. One person falls, another falls, another falls over them. There were literally piles of bodies. People just on the ground for minutes at a time because they didn't know who would get up first, who could get up first. People were just stuck and panicked. So some of the cardiac arrests may have been not even suffocation-related, but just panic attack-related. People were begging them, help me and get me out of here, and thrown over the barricades. Like, people literally tossed around, in one testimony's words, like ragdolls. They were going limp and just being thrown out of there. People were really trying to scramble to just get people out to safety. One staff member recalls helping no less than 15 desperate people in that crowd get out and get a little bit of a breather. The first 911 call from this place was reported by 907. And throughout the first couple songs, there were a lot of the worst incidents already. All in one main area, which was kind of hard to get to, and the ambulance cart struggled, in part because this crowd was so compact that it was hard to see individuals within the mass. It wasn't distinguishable anyone in the crowd. So to some people from certain cameras, certain distances, it looked like a concert crowd. It didn't look like a big medical emergency unfolding. No one was parting to make way for a giant response. So to some people, they couldn't see anything dire. So that was adding to confusion. And even in the 911 call logs, you can sense from the operator confusion. Like, what? What's happening? We haven't seen anything like that going on. Everything looks normal or just not cause for concern. This was happening within a very thick group. The chaos was not easy to observe from many vantage points. And others would later recall having no idea of the damage and destruction and loss of life until hearing from news reports and family after it happened. The ambulance cart had a flashing light, but no actual siren noise coming out of it, which didn't help. There were so many 911 calls, and they went unresponded because at some point, the call operator actually deprioritized calls from that location, long story short, because they were getting redundant. There was nothing new to act on. Some of the many injuries reported include bruises, scrapes, finding it hard to breathe, fainting, being unconscious, blue and purple lips, vomiting, going numb, stumbling, losing movement control, going limp, cardiac arrest, several possible miscarriages, and death. There was also camera equipment broken, and the camera guys had tension with the rest of the crowd because young people in the crowd were standing up and saying, hey, trying to flag down someone to say there are dead people in the crowd. Stop the freaking show. And the camera people were mad that their equipment was broken, and they were telling people to back off, get off their equipment. The ambulance issue was extra concerning because people got up and danced on it. The people who were either unaware what it was or what was happening, if you really want to give them the enormous version of a benefit of the doubt, people who were just partying amid the chaos, oblivious or just not caring. 
So people were dancing and jumping on the ambulance cart. It was just like a golf cart with the siren on it that didn't make noise, but it flashed. And someone was coding in it by some reports. But then other interviewees claim no one was coding in it. But anyway, there could have been someone in dire straits in there and that ambulance could not get out because people were shaking, jumping on and dancing on that vehicle. The social media videos of this event were so harrowing that night to see all these perspectives of just so much panic everywhere that just spread. Panic is contagious and everyone didn't know what to do and no one was listening or just really grasping the gravity of the situation. There was also panic when people kind of just lost sight of people in the crowd. There were lost cell signals, everything happening at once. There are so many young people who attended the show and gave testimony to investigators. Here are some of the many harrowing accounts. Christopher talked about how attendees were also just faint due to dehydration because he said there had been only two free water distribution areas on site and the waits for water were just so long, a lot of people skipped. He also said he saw no medics show up until about 15 to 20 minutes after the crowd had started up chance of stop the show. Brandon recalls he went to the event with his brother, who was hospitalized with back injuries after falling unconscious on the ground. And he also heard a rumor a cop had hit someone with a baton, adding to the chaos. Jay recalls seeing a pile of bodies as he tried to leave, picking one up that already felt lifeless, like she had definitely died, and having to hand the phone of this dead girl to her mom. Just so, so heartbreaking. Sienna was the one who went viral when she went up on the camera equipment to yell about, hey, stop the show, people are dying out there, literally, cut it out. She said they sent her to the police station, which was useless. And she was alarmed that 20 minutes after this insistence on them doing something, the show hadn't stopped yet. She said she had to witness the dead all around her. She was located in that main thick of things area. She started descending the platform, feeling like it was a lost cause, ran into medics and recalled them looking shocked and confused. Like, what are you talking about, emergency? Meanwhile, a colleague claimed he had seen the cameraman being harassed by a attendee. And Sienna said in her interview, she, quote, was also frustrated at having seen a photo of the chief of police hugging Travis on social media, unquote. Edward, the one who kicked her off, his account is, quote, She kept telling him about a friend that needed help. Mr. Dixon stated this place had a decibel level of 200. He stated he had headphones in and the sound was still intolerable. He stated you could feel the vibrations from the speakers. You could not hear someone talking next to you. Everyone was screaming. He was screaming at her. If he was rude to her, he could not help it. He stated he was trying to get through to her. She kept screaming about her friends. He stated he kept telling her he cannot help. He finally got her to get off. He said he did not threaten to throw her off, unquote. But her account is, quote, She stated the higher platform had two cameramen who made eye contact. She asked them if they could see what she was seeing in the crowd. Explained to him that people were dying in the crowd. Pointed to the area. The person responded by saying, get off the platform. She repeated to him that people were dying. He told her to get off the platform. She explained that this other person was bigger than her and that she was on the edge of an elevated platform with sharp metal beneath her. She stated that the person grabbed her by the arm and began pulling her towards the ladder and told her, get off this platform or I will push you off of it, Unquote. This account from Ben, he told investigators, quote, he could feel the concrete. He stated he was underneath approximately three layers of people. It was dark. Some people would cover the light. His knee was twisted. His shoes came off. He was on the ground for approximately six minutes. Everyone was waiting for the first person to get up. No one was helping. People were looking at them but not doing anything. He remembers a security guard pushed him back in. He told a security guard people were dying back there. He stated the male looked surprised and as though he did not know what was happening. Unquote. The incident report logs and command post logs add to this very frightening picture. These are all direct quotes from those logs. Here's what was being noted in real time. Starting from earlier in the day. People waiting in line are throwing bottles and other items at each other. Lieutenant request riot equipment. The crowd is agitated and pushing against the barricades. The crowd has pushed the last barricade. Crowd in blue is trying to rush the bike rack. 8.11 a.m. HPD, Houston Police Department, requests medical for four individuals. 
Attendees have run past the test site for COVID and are crossing pedestrian bridge, several trample injuries, bike rack overrun. HFD, Houston Fire Department, has been notified. At least two trample injuries, venue fences damaged, breached merchandising lines, no control over merchandise, approximately 100 participants jumping fence, group of over 100 jumping the fence. It's becoming an officer safety issue. Participants are now dismantling barricades. Group of fence jumpers detained and handcuffed. Several hundred people rushing gate, 10 requesting additional units. Fireworks, photographer hyping up the crowd. Units requesting a medic for a female having a seizure. Yeah, I told you, even earlier in the day, they said it was relatively tame, but to me it's still alarming. Large group just jumped the fence, participants storming venue entrance, HPD to shut down merchandise, large crowd pushing. Three to four hundred people rushed into main VIP entrance. Weak female cannot walk. Unconscious female. Hydration station is out of water. Report of looting. Flagged by security for head trauma. People are getting stepped on. First victim reported, brought to medical tent. They have the set list in here too as it goes, which is so surreal and just jarring. Like, make your way to medical tent, end of third son, butterfly effect. Arrest processing, end of fourth son, stargazing. Male screaming, stop the concert, end of fifth song, carousel. Travis raises fist up towards backstage, adjusts earpiece. Son appeared to be stopped short. Multiple people yelling, help us. Travis says, quote, all the real ragers know what time it is, so get your sections straight, unquote. And, quote, to everyone watching at home, I want y'all to see how we do it in Houston, unquote. End of six song, Mamacita. First cardiac arrest is relayed. Travis says, quote, hold on, hold on, turn the lights on. I think I see somebody in the tree. Make some noise for my boy hanging in the tree. My boy's ready to rage. My boy wants to rage. There are no bystanders at my show, unquote. Everyone piled on top of each other. End of seventh song. No bystanders. Travis appears to stop mid-son. Travis says, quote, I got my man Tom in the MF in building. Yo, Mike Brown, make sure he good. Walk with him. Take him. Crane operator reports via radio to the production trailer that people are receiving CPR. Unknown suspicious event report. End of son. Way back. Travis says, quote, I want to see some ragers. Who wants to rage man? Unquote. Multiple people trampled, passed out. Travis says, quote, there's an ambulance in the crowd. Whoa, whoa, what the F is that? Unquote. Travis says, quote, I want to make the F in ground shake. Unquote. Multiple screams of help. Unconscious female in middle of crowd. End of ninth son, the Scots. End of tenth son, upper echelon. End of eleventh son, mafia. Travis checks ear, then points out to the crowd. People at medical tent crying that people are being trampled and not breathing. Six CPRs in progress. People on the media tower requesting assistance because people were climbing the tower. End of 12th son. People are stuck. Travis says, quote, hold. Can I get some help over here? We have somebody passed out right here. Don't touch him. Everybody just back up. Security, somebody jump in there real quick. Get in there. Unquote. Two people dead. End of 16 son. Seth Boardman communicates directly to audio personnel. Quote, four people are critical, two are dead. This is the worst I've seen in my 25-year career. We need to shut the show down. I don't care. It needs to end in eight minutes. The show will end at 10 o'clock. Unquote. Travis pauses and looks backstage. DJ continues song for him. Seth stated he got into Travis's ear himself and told him that he had to shut the show down. He said Travis understood and would shut the show down the right way as to not incite a panic. Someone yells into the crowd, stop the show. Travis walks around the stage and looks toward the backstage, continues interacting with crowd. Drake arrives on stage. Care goes to triage. This part is jaw-dropping. Chief Satterwhite makes his way to the control area, where three men are running the technical portion of the show and speaking directly with Mr. Travis Scott. He stated he told the three men to shut down the show immediately because CPR was being done on three individuals. He stated one of the males responded, but they're not dead. He stated that they might be and that it needed to be shut down. He stated to give them five minutes after they stated they needed time. He moved away to communicate with the command post to begin shutdown. Unified Command Group chat says, wanted to give everyone a heads up. 
Festival is not going forward tomorrow. Today there was a mass casualty event. Eight confirmed deaths. Main stage area is currently a crime scene. Press conference in progress now. They are going to be conducting an investigation tonight. Then, as if that wasn't enough chaos, we see even more of that unfold through Houston Police Department's communication. These are more direct quotes among the cops on the radio. We're getting reports of a female, possibly unconscious, in the middle of the crowd of the concert. We're going to try to find her. We have a citizen that flagged us down. Stay on the perimeter. Do not enter the crowd. It is too dangerous right now. Assist people on the exterior. The medical tent is filled. There's over like 100 patients in there. The 911 call notes include these direct quotes. Some are just harrowing. Some are just very surprising. Female caller in regards to a noise complaint. Male caller tells dispatcher that people are passing out and breaking legs. Three people unconscious on the floor. Someone is dead. People are dying. Five bodies. People are doing CPR. And some of the bodies have been under for about 20 minutes. Four people have passed away. So basically what happened was it was a rowdy day, but expected. Then by 8.30, things got really, really bad. And the crowd crush ensued really early in the show. A mass casualty incident, MCI, was called within the first half hour. But different people got on different pages about when exactly the show would stop and what to do about it. The command was get the show done by 10. People pushed back. We'll get to that later. It eventually did officially end at 10.13. So he went through quite a bit of the set list. By some accounts, all of the songs, others think he might have skipped one or two, but he pretty much did his show. As all this ensued, seeming to kind of notice something weird in the crowd, but kept going. Meanwhile, there weren't just deaths, but people desperately climbing on media equipment and the media people saying, hey, just get back, you're breaking my equipment. A lot of confusion and chaos. And then Drake, the special surprise guest, showed up, did a couple songs, then the show was officially called off. So after that ended, Drake, Travis, and company celebrated with a cookout and went to Dave & Buster's. And a medical team, Paradox, apparently celebrated a birthday by one volunteer with them accounting this, quote, the person speaking went on to congratulate them after saving two lives, telling them that they should be proud of themselves and that they were clear to go home at that point. Then she stated that someone brought out a birthday cake because apparently it was Dr. Donica's birthday. She thought that this activity was bizarre, given all that had just happened. She stated she was originally in front of the group, but slowly started making her way to the back until she could exit the tent. She stated she felt that those who participated in that were, quote, tone deaf and, quote, effed up. So that was a verbal interview recap. Then they asked someone else separately via written questionnaire, quote, we heard Paradox celebrated a birthday in the medical tent. Do you have any information or know if that is true? Unquote. The response from someone from Harris County Medical Corporation, quote, yes, this statement is true. One of the physicians was celebrating her birthday after they cleared the last patient from the tent, unquote. So many questions here about who knew what when, who was being cruel and dismissive, and who was being genuinely confused and panicked and frozen in the moment. Who was just rude? Who was being negligent? First, let's go over what didn't happen, then back up and reassess what did happen per the investigation. First of all, some rumors that were debunked or just never able to be fully verified. Rumor one, drugs were a big factor in the injuries and deaths. No, this was a very young crowd, and there wasn't even a ton of drinking. Some people do reference Molly, so weed they may have been on, but not like some big mass amount of people there were drugged up. There were some shared symptoms of an overdose and a crowd emergency response, a crowd crush reaction physically. So people might have thought some were drunk or on drugs, but that was not verified as a big cause. It was the crowd crush that really caused it. Part of the reason we know this is because the questionnaires that some answered in writing who worked on medical teams, all of them when asked, did you administer anything like Narcan to someone, they said no. They didn't report seeing that kind of thing. There were also rumors about someone pricked by a needle in the crowd. 
This man, Joshua David Mitchell, a security guard who says he felt like someone hit him on the back of the head, he was unconscious, and came to after a needle prick. No drug tests were ever done on him. His legal team said they would get some drug test results to the investigators and never followed through. And after the show, it sounds like certain legal parties worried about liability were talking about maybe using the needle prick story in their defense. The investigators did talk to him and, quote, We asked him who found the needle and what they did with it. Joshua did not know. Joshua's lawyer said that they also had concern that the needle might have been infected with HIV. I asked Joshua if he got a baseline test for possible contamination. He had not been able to get that. I asked if he thought someone had actually injected him. He stated that is what the medical staff was telling him. He was told by medical staff that he had a pinpoint to the back of ear. I asked him again if he felt that he was injected, and again he stated that it felt like he was struck in the back of the head, unquote. He also, though, apparently in the interview, did mention he wouldn't mind pursuing charges if they ever found the culprit of pricking him. Main rumor two, a shooting amid the crowd. It sounds like it was false, rumors of that happening, but there was concern about a shooting for two reasons. One, police possibly getting in the crowd with their weapons on them and creating more risk, which is part of the reason logistically why they did not go into the crowd. They stayed on the perimeter. You see that reading the police radio transcripts that they were instructed, stay on the perimeter, don't get in there. That's actually riskier. They also worried because the rumored second special guest was a friend of Drake's, Jay Prince, who has gang affiliation, and they worried he would bring guns and rival gang members with weapons into the crowd. So paranoia about that happening might have been where that rumor started. Main rumor number three. The medical staff were ill-prepared and unprofessional. They did have some moments they may have dropped the ball. There were certain things, like epinephrine, they were cited as not having enough of. They also only had one or two stretchers immediately available, so they had limited resources, but the investigators concluded they did the best with what they had and are not negligent. There was a staffing shortage, so the people who were volunteering were not vetted as well as they may have been in the past, they were desperate for employees for this event, and there were different parties recruited who weren't all on the same page. There were also lack of communication channels between police and medical. Who was taking care of what? Emergencies was a bit unclear. Then there was the one ambulance cart that got stuck. They recall actually just throwing patients through the windshield to get over the barricade. One main person who recalls the medical staff is not prepared, to be honest, I find sounding a bit bitter and biased because she said the person in charge of her in her tent was a BITCH, who she avoided, who was a piece of work, sounds really annoyed with her. Quote, she remarked that paradox seemed to be disorganized and it was not always clear what the standards and procedures were, unquote. The investigators said, quote, Detective Catton and I have reviewed footage of the concert from a multitude of sources and found that the medical personnel who worked this event exercised their due diligence and performed their duties to the best of their abilities despite the tragic and chaotic situation that was unfolding. We found no evidence to support the ideas and rumors that Paradox and the medical staff were poorly trained, understaffed, or undersupplied, unquote. There's also bizarre body camera footage of someone trying to sneak into the show, and the officer says he, quote, arrives and meets with a female who advises officer that there is a female hiding in the bushes. Officer Bradshaw arrives and meets with female who walks out of the bushes towards him. Officer asked female what she was doing, and female replies what everyone else is doing. Officer tells female that there is no point in coming onto the property because they still have to go over five fences. The female replies to him they won't stop trying. He motivates us. That is what he wants. I know that y'all know that. Female walks toward a hole in the fence and jumps back over the fence. Officer tells female Travis Scott, and female replies with nodding her head, mm-hmm, unquote. So basically she said, he wants this and we're not going to give up fence jumping. So yeah, so there's some interesting body camera interactions, but there is no footage saved from command post, overlooking command post that could verify what people said about that main area. Now let's talk about what did happen. Who could talk to Travis? Who directly could talk to Travis through his earpiece and say, hey, stop the show and did they? 
Based on all these interviews, the main conclusion sounds like only two people had access to do that directly during the show. They were both in this tent operating his auto-tune equipment, that kind of thing. There is Busy, that's his nickname, his real name's Boal Joseph, Busy and one unidentified person. The investigators really tried asking different interviewees, who is that guy who's this voice on a recording, and they did not know, or just had to speculate widely. So some unidentified man and Busy could talk to Travis. Busy is on a recording saying to Travis, basically wrap it up. It didn't help though because he didn't say hey now or stress the urgency, so it is possible Travis heard him say stop the show without realizing what it was about because Busy in his interview said sometimes we've been told we have to stop a show before and it's just because of curfew, city curfew. Multiple interviewees did confirm that the microphone Travis had was the talkback kind, so he could hear them and they could hear him. But multiple interviewees also say the tech is made so that you can most accurately hear, most clearly hear the music. They're not made to hear conversation as much as music. Now, an interesting recording with some individuals back and forth with Busy goes like this. Chief's not playing. He gotta wrap it up. They not playing. We've gotta wrap it up here. Busy says, it's the last song. Last song. It's the last song. Chief says, 1010 man, he's not playing. Last song. He's not playing. Only two minutes long. Chief's not effing playing. You have one minute. It's the last song, fellas. Come on, man. Give us a break. It's 1010 man. It's the last song, bro. It's 1010, man. We've cut the whole set in half for y'all. I'm telling you, man. It's only two minutes long. Chief's gonna be effing P-I-S-S-E-D. What are they gonna do? Cut the sound? The person talking to Busy, others have confirmed, is Marty Walgren. We'll talk more about him later. There are three variations on what people recalled being directly stated to Travis via earpiece. Basically the same thing, but three direct quotes. Yo, this is gonna have to be like the last song. Yo, Trav, you gotta wrap it up. It's getting kind of hectic out there. And just a vague told to end the show after Drake. A man named Steve in festival production was interviewed, and there's some really key passages I underlined in this report from his interview. Quote, He said that the person grabbed the microphone and said, we have to hurry this thing up and that we have to get to the part with Drake and there are three people that have died. He stated that this was communicated into the microphone that went directly into Travis's ear. We asked him who else could hear this communication. He stated that everyone on stage should have heard it and anyone else with an earpiece in could hear it, but he was not sure who else that could have been. Steve described watching the video feed at the time that Travis was receiving the message. He stated that he had a look on his face like a wake-up point. He stated that there was a part later on during the show, while Travis was still on the lift, and he stated that it appeared Travis was starting to notice people in the crowd. People backstage were awoken to the situation to a degree, but they still did not comprehend the severity of it all. We asked Steve his personal opinion regarding his thoughts about the show continuing after the message was delivered. He stated that if they had done a hard cutoff at that moment, it probably would have been the wrong move, given the way the crowd might have reacted, unquote. And it is true, part of the debate with some about if actually it was a good idea to just cold turkey close the show was because they feared a riot response if they cut off Drake. Brent Silberstein was asked about shutting down a show, and quote, he stated every situation is different. Possibly in this situation, you're going to ask Travis to do it. The kids will respectfully listen to him. He can speak to the crowd, unquote. A very interesting character in all this is John McGuire, because an anonymous tipster led investigators to talk to McGuire, who did not work this specific event, but he did work quite often in the past with Travis, and no longer does because he doesn't like him, and he was very upset with his way of handling things. From McGuire's interview, quote, I asked if it is protocol for the average concert for performers to be in contact with people around the stage. Mr. McGuire stated 100%. I asked if that is for safety, and Mr. McGuire stated yes. At any performance he has ever done, he has been able to tell the artist exactly what was going on. I asked if that was the same protocol he had with Travis Scott in the past. Mr. McGuire stated 100%. He stated he created Astroworld when it first started. He did album releases. He has worked with Travis since 2015. 
After doing the Astro World Tour, there were some discrepancies between him and Scott. He stated between financial conflicts and personal, he did not want to work with Travis Scott anymore. He stated from a general audience safety, if a gate is lost, the show needs to stop. He went back to speak about a past experience with Kanye. He stated how he ended an 80,000-person festival abruptly by the power of words, calmly, without incident. Mr. McGuire stated there are talkback mics. There are always talkback mics. He stated Travis is going to do what Travis is going to do. Mr. McGuire stated Travis can see the crowd 100%. He stated center stage there is the best perspective for anyone in the crowd. He said it is effing BS if Scott says he does not know what was going on. He stated there are certain things in the situation that cannot be overlooked. But Live Nation is not it, but they are a company that had a contract. There is an anonymous caller, too, who echoed some of McGuire's sentiments about and anger towards Travis. This anonymous caller claimed, quote, He had been looking at the timeline. What he has gathered is that things were going wrong for about an hour. He stated Travis is saying that no one provided him with any information until police were saying stop the show, after Drake. He stated then there's the footage when he notices the ambulance in the crowd. He looked off to the side to say what is going on. The anonymous tipster went on to say Mr. Scott is not an honest person and a pathological liar. The anonymous person went on to say to give Travis the benefit of the doubt is completely negligent. He stated you have to have a meeting beforehand to go through scenarios. The artist has the power to control the crowd. It is a five-minute conversation. It is completely standard stuff. The key thing is anyone behind the scenes are his employees. He cannot pass the buck to Live Nation because it is his team that is on the radio. Communications. He stated he believes Travis had no clue as to who could stop the show, which shows that they never had the conversation. He stated he is not normally this type of guy, meaning to call in a tip, talk to investigators. He stated once he saw Travis was attempting to have the case dismissed against him, he felt as though the situation was obscene. He stated it is all these middle-class people trying to be gangsters and tell him not to be a snitch, unquote. Both this caller and McGuire insist that Live Nation prioritize safety and the ultimate crowd control is what the artist can calmly say and that the power words can be enough to do that if they so choose and they say Travis did not choose that. Apparently, a past Astroworld had used this pre-recorded message on the screen. So if there needed to be a break in the show, they had a please stand by kind of message. But not this time. To recap, the issue started around 8.30. The show started a couple minutes after 9. Attendees started trying to climb the camera platform, desperately yelling about deaths in the crowd, at 9.32. The first victim transported to a hospital from the medical tent was reported at 9.38. The show went on until 10.13. There were three times during that show where Travis had said something and paused. One was to recognize someone who had climbed up on a tree, one was the ambulance in the crowd, and there was one other as well. About security, check on that guy. A lot of interviewees recall Seth Boardman really leading the charge, hey, get this down at 10. And there was that conflict between the people running the mics and Marty and company saying, hey, stop the show at 10, we're not playing with you. So some people sounded in their interviews like they were operating under the assumption, I'll just keep doing my job because they're already putting the steps in motion to stop the show. Others sounded like, come on, let me just finish what I'm doing. And others sounded like they just thought someone else would take care of it. Like they thought it was a big deal, shut down the show, but they thought someone else was going to do it. Plus some thought 10.10 was the cutoff, some thought just in 10 minutes from when they got the memo, some thought 10. Part of the confusion was different people at different radios, different teams. There were also different communication channels and call log systems that were ignored for big periods of time. So it was hard to then know how to get people up to speed because there was just so much happening every second. There were also people who were kind of removed, so they really didn't know what was going on, like the Apple people filming for Apple for the live stream. Festival dispatcher Reese Wheeler recalled trying to tell Emily Ockenden about the barricade issues. He recalls a condescending, quote, yes, honey, I see it, unquote, and thought the response was patronizing and belittling what was happening. Marty says he was aggravated, talking about getting the show to stop, and confused and frustrated that people were sounding like, hey, come on, we're almost done. Quote, Marty explained to them the gravity of the situation and told them that the show needed to end at 10 no matter what. 
He stated that the response from the people he was talking to was, Drake still has three more songs. He began to get animated and telling them again just how serious the situation is, while also showing them what time it is on his phone. They continued to pose the same argument that Drake still had a few songs left. He told them they were dealing with at least three cardiac arrests and that there may have already been loss of life. People back there returned to looking at their screens, and he realized that they just could not understand how bad it was out there, as they were caught up in their own tasks and not really seeing the atmosphere out in the crowd. When it became apparent that they were unwilling to end the show at 10, he stated that he was prepared to do whatever it took to shut down the show, by pulling the plug, taking the microphone, or even getting physical. He stated that he wanted to adhere to the directive he was given by Seth to end the show at 10, unquote. Matt Iyer had been talking before with Reese. They heard a stop the show order at 9.58 and the call that it was officially an MCI at 9.52. They were talking about, hey, are Seth and Sean a boardman aware of what's going on? Reese used the term pestered to say he pestered Matt Iyer about, do Seth and Shauna know how bad it is? He said he spent a half hour, quote, driving Matt nuts, asking him if the show was going to be paused. Then for the last half hour, he stated that he sat back and watched, believing that he had done all that he could do, unquote. In his interview, Iyer was asked about this and says he doesn't recall it as pestering, but he did figure Seth and Shauna were taking care of it. They were safety consultants on the project. Actually, Shauna for B3, a company that actually was on board working with Travis ever since he abruptly fired some staff that people preferred, people thought were more personable and easy to work with. So post-2019, he was working with new staff that people clashed with more. That's a whole side story. But Seth and Shauna were viewed as having the power to stop this. There was talk about stopping the show among cops in this trailer as well, and also, again, debating how to do it without causing further panic or a riot. The Houston Police Department chief says he warned about potential issues and talked about crowd control with Travis himself earlier that same day, although there's not footage or recording or anything to confirm that. So people thought the show either was going to stop at 10, that was official official, others thought it was just already in motion, it would end when it ended, others didn't understand fully the gravity of the moment and why it had to shut down, so they were just acting as normal, waiting for a directive to change course that never came. Overall, it sounds like a big issue with how long it took till 10.13 to stop this was because of all those communication mishmashes. There were so many companies involved here in terms of medical, security, festival prep, production, creativity, that kind of side of things. Approval of fire code adherence and stuff. I mean, so many players and companies with different protocols, even different standards for when to call an MCI. So it's actually a different thing when the police department and fire department do, they would do it separately. So for a period of time, it could have been one of them had said it's an MCI and the other didn't, leading to more confusion about if it was. There are also two types of security at events, artist security, venue security, that tend to not communicate. There was also differing communication channels for police and medics. There was a central command post, but that kind of centralized operator role was kind of moot because there were cell signal issues and no one knew who to get you in touch with, who to reconnect you to, who to redirect you to. It also sounds like there was a huge, huge sense of obligation to not go out of line, not break a chain of command, just do as you're told, and nothing more. One employee said, quote, they were told another company was handling crowd control. He stated they were told their sole duties were to stay at their post, unquote. A fire department member, Matthew, said in his interview, one of his jobs was to make sure resources didn't go to certain places outside of where they were ordered to go, where they were relegated. There is an upside, of course, to having big events with non-unilateral decision-making. So it's not one person has the power to do so much. It is a team effort. Of course, there are benefits to that, but the enormous pitfalls were super obvious this night. A member of Fuse said in his interview, quote, safety is above his pay grade. He's not a risk management guy, unquote. One cop interviewed said, quote, The person I spoke to ordered me to not enter the crowd because it would become an officer rescue situation. I was advised multiple times by the command post not to enter the crowd. I obeyed the order, unquote. Another cop said, quote, The command post directed us not to enter the crowd. 
do not get into an officer rescue situation, unquote. Dispatcher Candace Holloway, who worked with Reese, recalls that she was basically not acting out of line because she worried it would actually make things worse, like complicating the response, imposing on resources or time or ideas that were being better used elsewhere without her getting involved. So she thought she would just kind of stay back and do as told. So many other interview comments I find either damning or interesting or both. Marty Walgren really does not look highly on his time working for Travis. Quote, he described how Travis created a chaotic atmosphere, encouraging people to rage. Travis would encourage and reward concert attendees to rage. To those who did make it to the stage, they were often rewarded by Travis by him giving them his shoes or a piece of jewelry. Travis's outlook began to change in 2019 when he started dating one of the Jenners. He stated it was around that time when Travis fired his entire security after an event when a fan got onto the stage. He felt there were a lot of contradictions with this outlook shift because publicly, Travis would distance himself from that kind of behavior he had done at previous shows. However, when a show was going and a crazy fan jumped the barricade and a security would stop him, Travis would pause the show and tell security to let the fan get to the stage. He stated that this was also reflected in his conversations with the Travis Scott team when they would talk about how they can't allow fans to get to the stage or get to Travis. But when the cameras were rolling, it all changed and that type of behavior was still encouraged. Marty stated this kind of thing, among other issues, was very frustrating and led him to not wanting to work any more Travis Scott tours. Of all the shows and genres he has seen, he has never seen anything like the environment that Travis Scott creates. Unquote. Reese Wheeler made some interesting comments in an interview saying that he was not invited to security meetings that he was used to being qualified to attend. But he did say he stumbled into one by mistake. So not sure how secure the security meetings were, especially because some interviewees say that security protocols are meant to stay pretty private. You don't want to tell potential violators your plan to stop them from breaking the rules. Many interviewees comment they did not specifically recall a security meeting addressing a potential crowd crush, nor did their EOP, which we'll talk about later, detail what to do in that worst-case scenario. One interviewee was confused about Scoremore's involvement, knowing that Scoremore is just a nobody that recruited off of Facebook, which he found very unusual, and he wondered how qualified they were or were not. Lieutenant Barrow talked to Apex Security and said in his recollection, quote, okay guys, what's the plan here? How is this group going to matriculate through the process? What are the steps? And they said, we really don't know. I said, okay, so what time is the first group going through? We don't know. How is that going to happen? We don't know. Are they going to open part of the gate and screen 15 at a time? We don't know. So who knows the answers to these questions? And so they referred me to event security. They brought over some guy in a golf cart. I started asking these questions he didn't know so I told him this whole thing is foobar the private security guy agreed with me and said this whole thing is just effed up because nobody knows the answers to any of these basic questions nobody knew what they were doing and chaos was going to follow bottles started flying the kids started throwing bottles and they hit a couple of the private security so I got on the mic and I requested shields they argued with me and said if we get shields there aren't going to be targets I said well that's cool just get the shields and whatever gear we might need and stage it adjacent to us and they did that at that point I knew there was no plan and there was no point trying to talk to anyone on the ground about what the plan was so I just got my people and I told my squad leaders we're just going to stay the hell out of the way I want these two squads here y'all stay back because the crowd is going to come through these gates as everyone was predicting they were just going to trample the gates and just run over the medical screening and no one was going to get screened. That's what the prediction was from all the private security staff. So they knew full well the crowd was just going to run them over. They got prepared for that and there was going to be no medical check so I got my people out of the way. Unquote. A few interviewees claimed that Paradox had called for radio silence. Others say there's no way they would do that or should have. It sounds like the medical team largely agree that actually more time to get people out of the crush may not have helped revive them, that a lot were goners and dead by the time they reached the med tent or soon after. Some patients were described as unworkable on. 
There's quite a heated recollection from Sarah Lambert, a crime scene supervisor who was trying to maintain the crime scene as it was, but people were leaving and weren't supposed to. The police department really sounded just through the ringer emotionally and exhausted and ready to go home. Quote, I told him that they can't leave. The detectives were on their way, but if there was an emergency, I would want them in, and they could provide care while detectives were en route. Based upon their demeanor, I was concerned that someone was having a true mental health break. I told them again no one can leave or drive out any vehicles, but the detectives were five minutes out, and he could talk to them. Another gentleman came over and was yelling about how they didn't care and they were leaving. I asked them to please wait five minutes, and reminded them they entered a crime scene and have to abide by the crime scene needs. They continued to yell about how they were the contact and medical team and their medics have lost seven lives and needed mental health assistance and needed it now. They asked if HPD received the same treatment and wanted to know why I waited until now to come. They yelled about how terrible HPD was. I told them I was crime scene. I just arrived when they did and they really needed to talk to detectives. Another gentleman arrived. He said he would wait five minutes and then they were leaving. The other men were yelling and stated they were not waiting. One placed a business card in my hand. They were getting their people and driving out so I had better move. One of the men started yelling about how he was not frustrated. He was disgusted. I was disgusting. HPD was disgusting. And he was sickened by me. Unquote. Travis's people really got defensive. Justin Hoffman argued he actually at times during the set tried to slow down the action to get people to be calm. Marty recalls Travis surrounding him by, quote, yes men, unquote, that would of course make him think the show was a success. This is quite a quote from an interview with Steve, quote, production had a cookout ready for them and some of them gathered together to eat. The topic of the dust were not really discussed anymore with the group of people who were backstage, unquote. Julian Cassidy went so far as to say it was one of the tamer Travis shows he's been to. Travis's manager recalled, quote, he felt like everything was executed properly, and afterwards there was a lot of congratulations, amongst them the creative team and all of the members of the organization. To him it was a regular show. As far as people being pulled out, he stated it was a common occurrence, and it was not alarming if and when it did occur. Kyle Green, the man paralyzed at a Travis show back in 2017, he had his lawyer issue a statement after this tragedy saying that he's, quote, even more incensed by the fact that it could have been avoided had Travis learned his lesson in the past and changed his attitude about inciting people to behave in such a reckless manner, unquote. Then there is this really interesting interview with Drake himself. He was asked, among many things, does this kind of reaction happen at your shows? He said, no, fortunately nothing. This chaotic ever happens at a Drake show. I've never been, so fans feel free to attest to that. They asked, what is a go-to plan for medical emergencies for your shows? He admitted to not really knowing, but he said that's fortunate because that means that it hasn't happened before. It hasn't been necessary. They asked about his onstage communication during shows. He said in his experience, he can just talk one way with a DJ or a manager. So like a soundboard manager can talk to him, but he can't talk back. He says he never heard calls to stop the show, nor did he get a message about needing to shut it down. He claimed the bright lights made it hard to see the crowd, and he did not see the ambulance cart. His lawyer said no security ever came to brief him or the team about crowd issues, and Drake said he only found out what happened while scrolling through social media early that morning, post Dave and Buster's after party. He also said he's not usually privy to safety-related meetings, so him knowing that kind of intel and plan, that was not something he was ever really ever expected to be in on. Travis's then-girlfriend Kylie Jenner posted on Instagram from the show, just kind of rocking out and enjoying it. And in the shots, you can see the ambulance and flashing light. Not sure how she missed that. At least she had the sense to take that down and delete it, as did Kendall, her version of what happened. They partied it up. Then Kylie issued a social media post statement saying, I want to be clear, Travis would never have kept the show going had he known what was happening in the crowd. We feel for the victims, etc. A similar sentiment was made by Travis himself when he issued some social media statements after finding out what happened, saying he had no idea, he's very apologetic, and will pay for the funerals of the victims. 
In total, there were roughly 300 on-site injuries, including head injuries and other super severe ones. The venue ended covered in lost clothes, shoes, and possessions. 25 people were sent to hospitals, and it was quite an effort to keep track of who went where. That night, eight people died, ranging in age from 14 to 27. Eight people died that night while the nine-year-old victim was in a coma and a 22-year-old victim was brain dead, then pronounced fully dead the next day. So the death toll then officially became 10 and then 11 later. That news came about not till May 2022 in new media reports. The technical cause of death was cited as asphyxiation, at least for everyone who died that very night. Live Nation stock, that first Monday after the tragedy, fell by over $1 billion with a B dollars. But, like that Live Nation employee in his interview said, is Live Nation the main party liable here? What is Travis supposed to do to make amends? There are some incriminating texts and emails that I have not shared with you yet that were made public as part of the investigation, as well as interesting info about how they tracked down the ambulance cart dancer who danced on top of it. So now both criminal and civil laws could have been broken, cases can be brought, and families are very ready to sue. Some even rejected Travis's funeral expense funding, saying it was just PR money and he was insincere, grieving angry families are ready to sue. And the investigation is really just starting and starting right away. This was a crime scene by the time the night ended. Part two of the story is coming very soon, so stay tuned. Thank you all for tuning in and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye everybody!